0: Coming up, I'm going to teach you how to know if you're about ready to crash and burn. And then Amazon workers are all upset about their CEO telling them they've got to return to the office. We'll break it down and more. Let's go. Helping you win in your work so that you're winning in your life. This is the Ken Coleman Show. How do you know if you're about ready to crash and burn? Well, it's when you're doing three consistent things on a regular basis, and we're going to create a visual for you to unpack this. Because crashing and burning seems to be very obvious that you would see that, right? But it turns out that's not the case. And we'll take some real-life personal uh, examples here, and we're going to tie it to your professional life. So, I just bought my kid a car, his first car, and we were going through all of the the buttons and, you know, getting him used to it. It's an older car. It's like a 2004. And so, just getting him familiar with everything on the dashboard and how everything works. And um, I was going through all of the things around the steering wheel, and we came to the cruise control uh, uh, buttons and, the, and the, the way it works on this car. And it, you know, he's 17 years old. He's heard the term cruise control, but it's not something that I think he's terribly familiar with. And so I said to him quickly, I kind of I I I cruised over the cruise control. I I I said, Well, this is the cruise control thing, but you're not going to use that very often. And he goes, Why? I go, I I want you paying attention. I want you, I want you engaged. And so this is the dad coming out in me. So let's talk about why, as a dad, I don't want my son using cruise control. Because when you're using cruise control, the first thing you do, watch this, you take your foot off the gas. You take your foot off the gas. You're no longer being intentional by putting your foot on the gas, the minute you go to cruise control, you take your foot off the gas. Second thing that happens is, is you begin to relax. Now that I'm no longer intentional, I automatically relax. I got a a, a, a teammate. Haley, who I asked permission to make fun of her on this, but she was telling us in our content meeting that when she's on cruise control in her car, she literally picks up her legs off of the, not only off the gas, but she puts them up under kind of the crisscross applesauce, if you remember that, from preschool. She told me that, I went all dad on her in the meeting. I said, what? What are you doing? She's like, oh, I just, you know, I really relax. I get some snacks out. I listen to a podcast. So she gets really comfortable. Now, that leads to the third thing that cruise control does for us. She becomes so distracted with the snacks and the music because she has maybe one hand on the wheel. Her feet are completely up under her. She's completely distracted. People are passing her. She was telling us that they pass her. She's in the speed, the, the, the left hand lane, the speeding lane, and people are just zooming by her. And she could care less, giving her dirty looks. She doesn't even know. She's distracted. So, quick review. When you use cruise control in a car, there are three specific actions you take that create dangerous possibilities. The first, you take your foot off the gas, you're no longer intentional. Second, you get all relaxed, you've gotten comfortable. Third, People are passing you. You have no idea what's going on around you because you're busy with distractions. So when you are unintentional, comfortable, and distracted, you're more likely to crash. And that's how it sneaks up on you. Because if you think about it, You feel great. Hey, I get to sit comfortable in the seat. I don't have to put my foot on the gas. I'm not being intentional. Oh, I get to sit however I want to, so I'm so much more comfortable now because I'm not really engaged. And that's when the distractions can happen because we've let the guard down. We've let the guard down. And this is a massive problem in our professional lives. Because what happens is we work really hard, we hustle, we do what it takes to get in, we get an opportunity, and we're understandably excited. We've arrived. And what do we do? Put it on cruise control. I just got through all that traffic, Ken, all the distractions and traffic and And hurdles and all the things, man. And now I'm on the free and clear, man. I'm in the job. I'm in the fast lane. Ken, come on, man. What's wrong with cruise control? Parents? What's wrong with cruise control? inherently nothing's wrong with cruise control. How many parents out there? wants your kid using cruise control when they're driving on the interstate. Alex, you're a parent of teens. How do you feel about cruise control? You think it's inherently wrong, the concept? No, but I I would be in the same boat when when they start driving, yeah. Why? Because Alex and I and you parents out there want your kids engaged. Because when they're engaged, intentional... Aware, paying attention, not distracted, there's a greater chance that they're not gonna crash that car. And I get it. And I'm okay with moments of cruise control, cruise control in your daily rhythms, if that's what we want to call it. Sure. I don't I'm not I'm not hammered down the entire day. So the flip side of this is to be intentional. Know where you're going. Don't forget why you want to go there. Don't forget how you got where you are. Be intentional. Foot on the gas. Not always hammer down, but foot on the gas. Be engaged. Be engaged. Sitting up straight, paying attention. Ten and two, baby. Nine and three is the new... Jargon, I want you engaged and then finally stay focused on who's around you, what's going on. Are you in the fast lane? Are you in the middle lane? Should you be in the slow lane for this season? That's okay. Why? Because the least amount of time we spend in professional and personal cruise control, the less chance we have of crashing and burning. And can I just say for a moment, as a guy who is so blessed to approach 25 years of wedding bliss, I can tell you that cruise control in your relationship and marriage will also set you up for a whole lot more chance of crashing and burning. Be intentional. Be engaged. Stay focused. The world needs you, so you got to make sure you don't crash and burn. Cruise control a little bit here and there, don't get used to it. This is the Concoma Show. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Thrilled to have you with us, helping you get unstuck and become unstoppable. If you are enjoying the show, it's helping you. Would you help us spread the word? You are the greatest marketing strategy in the world. Here's how you do it. If you're uh, watching via YouTube, subscribe to the channel, please, and share an episode or a clip, whatever you're watching. Then if you're listening via podcast, give us a follow and a five-star review and share an episode, would you? We would be so grateful. All right. it's getting hot. There's a song. I want to say it's by Nelly. And, you know, the way YouTube is now with all the licensing, I can't play music. But I I, I guess it's not. Is there anything wrong with me quoting a song, Alex? Okay. So I think Nelly's got a song where it's basically like, it's getting hot in here. Something like that. Does that make sense? Of course, it doesn't sound that bad. I somehow redneck that up. What? Right, her. Right, and uh, it's getting hot for the snowflakes. So, so I'm thinking of Nelly. I know, I know, Alex, you're going. Is he on his meds? Uh, I am. But if I could play the song Joe back in the day uh, on WDUN, uh, Joe would have a Nelly bump, and that we would play, and and I would use it to say, "Hey, snowflakes." Those of you who don't think you can handle life, back in the office, it's getting hot. It's getting hot in her. Latest headline. Amazon workers want Andy Jassy, who's the CEO of Amazon, uh, to cancel the return to office plan. Now, Alex, I got some thoughts on this too. Hey. I'm just warning you, you snowflakes, you're already going to be mad at me, so I've just decided to embrace it because maybe I'll get you mad enough to pay attention because I do think you have to be careful. I'm not anti-remote, and I don't think less of remote workers. What I am is anti-griping, and I'm anti-protesting. Wait a second, Ken. You say you're a man of the people. I am. Well, what do you think about the First Amendment? I would die for it. But I'll explain why I'm anti-protesting in the work environment in a second. So here's the news. Uh, Andy Jassy, Amazon CEO, announced last week that Amazon's corporate staffers will be required to be at their desks at least three days per week. Now let's just start there. (laughs) They didn't say five days a week. They said, at least three. (laughs) I don't want to come back. Shortly after Jassy's announcement, employees started a remote advocacy channel on Amazon's internal Slack messaging system to tout the merits of remote work and push back on the return to the office mandate. More than 14,000 employees had joined the group as of Tuesday of this week. The Remote Advocacy's channel members have also drafted a petition, Alex. I mean, it wasn't enough that they created a group and they decided to let Amazon executives know all of the positives of remote work. They're, They're informing their leadership. Okay, that's good. That's good. And then they want to push back but then they drafted a petition. (laughs) Now it's serious. We have put our name on the petition. We don't want to come back to the office. One Amazon worker is quoted in this New York Post article. This is going to be absolute chaos and make everyone's work distracted for probably a quarter, maybe longer. It's hard to be productive with so much uncertainty injected into our lives and again where is the uncertainty you're going to be required to come back to the office at least 3 days a week this you can be certain of where's the uncertainty <laughs> what? what they just told you you going to make you come back 3 days a week So, does that suck? Okay, sure. But, what are your options? Well, there are two. Do it, or leave. But they think that the third option is the only option. The third option being protesting, we're going to sign a petition, we are going to create a work group, and we are going to make our leaders bend to our will. Okay. Now, let me acknowledge, while I don't think that's going to work across the board, it is reasonable to believe that some companies will do this. I mean, we've seen some pretty big companies, which I'm not going to get into now because I don't want to distract from this story and then the next one I'm about to share. But we've seen some pretty big companies cave over a small percentage of employees whining and crying and throwing a temper tantrum because that's what this is. Next story, and then I'm going to wrap it all up and tell you that we are in a very precarious place in this country in the world of work. And it concerns me, and I'll unpack it. Second story, Disney workers rebel against return-to-office mandate. More than 2,300 workers have signed a petition addressed to CEO Bob Iger, urging the executive to abandon the planned return-to-offices, claiming it is likely to have unintended consequences that cause long-term harm to the company. Well, how do they know? They don't. This is a threat. This is a passive-aggressive threat, this kind of a statement. It's like they're talking down to their leaders, people who run the company. Bob Iger's been a successful CEO, but it's this... I don't mind you disagreeing with your leaders in fact I promote healthy disagreement with your leaders but let me tell you what it should look like isn't there a popular trend on uh, on social media like where it started and where it is now am I right about that something like how it started how it's going oh thank you Alex how it started how it's going so I've got one for you you ready in the world of work in America today I've got a how it started how it's going. Here's how it started. When you had disagreements and concerns with your company leadership, you would push back privately. You'd go to your leader, you would be an adult, you would make a strong case and not go in threatening anything. You would just say, I've got these concerns, this is a problem, I'm reporting this, I'm concerned, and we're going to have a conversation. Then we see what leadership does with it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it does not. But it was how it started, it was pushback privately. Get a group of team members together and go see your leader and have a conversation. How it's going, (laughs) we just reported on it. We protest publicly. We, we we head to the streets. We walk out. Starbucks employees just all get up and walk out, leaving the, the store unminded, unlocked. Well we are protesting. No. You're acting like a toddler. I'm all for protesting under a righteous cause, if it is political in nature, but in a business nature, it's not political. You don't get a vote, folks. I know you want to vote, but you don't get a vote. You do have a voice, but to use the voice the right way is to go back to the way it was, push back privately, and then figure out if you want to stay or not. But this protesting publicly is creating a very untenable and potentially volatile situation in America. We got to stop this nonsense. You were created to fill a unique role in and through your work. That means you were needed and it means you must do it. So people resonate with a statement like that because everybody wants to make a mark. And I think most of you believe that that is true about you as well. You may not know what it is. And that's when it gets really intimidating and and, uh, scary because it's so unclear, right? Well, I've created a tool that in about 15 to 18 minutes is going to give you self-awareness and clarity to the likes that you've never experienced in your life by simply allowing you to look into you and identify what you do best, what work you enjoy doing, and what results motivate you. Those are the three elements, talent, passion, and mission, and you're going to get a detailed report of where you score universally, in these areas of talent, in the area of work, and in the area of motivation. And it has helped hundreds of thousands of people. It's called the Get Clear Career Assessment. You can get it at KenColeman.com assessment. Beyond the detailed report, you also get a purpose statement that is designed for you to put on your mirror, put on your refrigerator door, put on your bedroom door, get it in your top desk drawer, and it is going to give you tremendous clarity and confidence as you always are moving forward in life. You know that you're on purpose. You're in your sweet spot because of that powerful compass. And that's really what this tool is, a compass to point you and keep you headed the right direction. KenColeman.com slash assessment. KenColeman.com slash assessment. All right. I love taking your questions uh, through different mediums like uh, our Facebook group, um, our Facebook page, our LinkedIn page, our Instagram page, Twitter, good grief. Here we go down the list. Um, and also our email address uh, and YouTube. Thank you. I can't keep up with it all. It's too much. It's too much. Um, and our email address is ask at Okay, so um, Sydney, from our YouTube video, here is why white-collar jobs are in danger. Uh, this video did very well, and she has a question about it. Why must employer-employee relations always be characterized as a battle? Because I think there is a battle. And I think that this is the mentality. It's us versus them. And until that changes, I think it's important to point out that the, the norm, the cultural expectation from most people, right or wrong in their particular workplace is that it is us versus them. Now, there are some very healthy companies with very healthy leaders atop. And you don't have an us versus them type mentality going on and the culture is very, very different. But I am, if she's asking uh, why I refer to it as a battle that's being waged, uh, that's what's happening when you've got Amazon workers trying to unionize, major companies laying people off in the middle of the night, not even telling them what's going on. That's a battle. That's a war. That ain't healthy. That's not good. So it's on both sides of the aisle. Bad bosses, bad leadership, immature workers, selfish workers. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. And I'm going to comment on it as I see it. Kathy writes in, how do I get over the fear of rejection? from job searching. There's only one way to get over the fear of rejection, and that is to get rejected. You know, I was talking with my daughter the other night. She's in the seventh grade, and gosh. Let's just hope that middle school girls never take over the world. We're screwed. You want to talk about mass apocalypse. Middle school girls are about as mean and nasty as anybody I've ever met. They're just mean. Now, middle school boys are stupid, so I want to equally offend everybody. Uh, Middle school boys are stupid, and and they're operating on a very, very small percentage of their brain. But middle school girls, watch your back. They nasty. Mean. Brutal. So I was telling my daughter, look, this this like back and forth, and you know I'm with this group one week, and then this girls not even talking to me the next day, and I don't even know what happened. I, I you know I I can't explain it to her. I I have no solution other than to say, this is part of friendship, this is a part of relationship, and so this is true in love, and it's true in work. The only way. To overcome the fear of rejection is to accept the fact that you're going to get rejected. And then when you get rejected, step into it fully and get over it. And then the more you do it, it eventually loses its sting. We get a lot of questions like this one from uh, Emory and, and Angela. We're kind of combining these. My husband is not happy in his job. How do I support him and help him? Find a job that makes him happy. Oh, my gosh. Uh, This is very, very difficult for you two ladies, the wife. And by the way, vice versa, if if it were men asking about their wives. And the reason it's so difficult is because as the spouse, you're the closest to this person who feels helpless and hopeless. And... Because they feel that way, you want to reach over, grab my hand, babe, and pull them out, right? You—that you, That is your natural spousal reaction. It's good and it's healthy, but it gets unhealthy when you offer that on a continuous basis and they aren't ready to receive it, and then all of a sudden you go from this person whose heart is absolutely pure, who wants to help them, and they feel that, and they appreciate that, and eventually it turns into, why are you picking on me? Why are you judging me? Why are you nagging me? I don't need you. I don't want you. And oh, now it turns into a nasty relationship situation. So, you have to avoid that tension. And so, in my opinion, the only way to do it is to Never turn yourself into their reminder, their coach. You have to stay their wife in this situation, ladies. Just be the loving, supportive wife. Asking questions and letting him share his feelings, his fears, his doubts, and then engage there, not by counterpointing, But understanding first and foremost. They need to feel very, very safe. Because it it begins to become tension when you're like, why are they being so lazy? i got to tell you, your husband is not lazy. He's lost. You ever seen a person who's lost make a whole lot of forward progress? No, they're paralyzed. There's a whole cocktail of emotions going on. So what you have to do is ask questions about their feelings, listen, encourage them based on their feelings, and when we can get them to a place where they feel hope and they don't feel any judgment, they don't feel less than, they have a good shot at coming out of it. Then make sure that that they are surrounded by other positive people. If you want to do anything, make some connections for them. Don't force it, but make some connections for them. But your only role, and this is really hard because you want to do more, but you can only support by listening and encouraging. You cannot coach. You cannot remind. You just have to listen and encourage, pull back from the advice, pull back on the pressure. And this is a tough thing, but you're not alone in this. And I would recommend that, that, you know, positive, healthy friends in their life share, not too much but share what's going on because I think the more they're surrounded the, the quicker they come out of this malaise because they're embarrassed, they're humiliated, they're confused, discouraged, these are horrible feelings and so we don't want them to be alone and they can't be alone with just you you need help so surround them by friends and family members keep it positive they'll come out of it. All right. Thank you all so much for the questions. Remember, you matter. You have what it takes. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Coleman.